informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week we're going to be talking about decoding your dog's body language. What is it that they're trying to tell us? Joining me for this week's podcast is the amazing LWDG group expert Samantha Thornycroft-Taylor. How are you today Samantha? I'm really good thanks Joe. how are you? I am fantastic and really excited, as always, to be having a conversation with you. Now, we all want to have a great relationship with our dogs. They're like part of our family. They bring us joy. They also bring us a severe amount of frustration. But I suppose in order to understand our dogs the most, we really need to understand what it is that they are trying to communicate to us, don't we? We do. And it's one of those things we've all heard it before, but... You know, the, the dog's way of communicating is through use of body language. And so that's why it's massively important for us to be able to, as you put it, decode what it is they're trying to tell us. Um, they don't speak the English language. They're not born knowing what, we, what we're meaning when we say things. So we go through their early years and well, their, their latter years as well, but teaching them just to select few words from our language that they then learn and they understand what we mean. But it's so, so important for us to be able to sort of look at a dog in any situation, in any scenario, and read what it is they're trying to tell us. They can't physically say the word sit to us. So, you know, we've got to work out how it is that we've got to understand what they're trying to communicate when they're trying to communicate it I always think when I'm talking to my dogs well I know I probably use far more words than I actually need I tend to sometimes have almost human conversations with them um do you think we think they understand more of the English language than they actually do I think we do as a a a human we will often sort of elaborate what our short concise message to the dog is into a really long sentence and sometimes we'll walk around a field yabbering about what we're going to get from Tesco's and what we think we're going to have for tea and do they think they want us you know to get us a nice or to get them a nice treat etc etc but actually when we have this elongated conversation with the dog all we're doing is turning into white noise which is why when we're training it's important to keep our use of words to a minimum Um, And to accept and appreciate the fact that we can communicate with the dog in a far better way by using our own body language than we can if we just yabber at them nonstop. So there's two parts of this really, isn't it? There's the dog's body language and what it communicates to another dog. A dog's body language and what it communicates to us. And also a third part, really, 
our language, our body language, and what that's communicating to our dogs. Yes, we've got to understand, as you just said, the message between dog to dog, the message from dog to human, and the message from human to dog. And we can use all of that in our favour. We can sort of semi-predict what a dog might be about to do when we're out on a walk. We can use it previous experiences and learning our own individual dog's body language as sort of um, keys and, and hints as to what they might be thinking of doing next. Or for example, if they've met a dog that you know last time, maybe they had a bit of a scuffle, you can look for certain tells in your and the other dog's body language in order to avoid a potential situation that you don't want to be in. Um, and we can also use our own body language to be either inviting, which is, you know, obviously the most often one we want to use. We want to be fun and exciting to a dog, but also to put across some form of correction or consequence to our dog as well. When we say about like being inviting, I think we tend to not be as excited in our body language with an old dog than maybe we are as a pup. With a pup, we like super lovely, aren't we? We, we over-exaggerate our excitement, our 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 body acting as an invitation to the dog to, to come to us and then we sort of slow it down a little bit as they get older but then on the like opposite side of that we are very I should say as the dog gets older our body language shows more and more how annoyed we can get at the dog it can do. And actually, in my mind, one of the most oppressive things a human can do to a dog is to lean over the dog. So, for example, when you recall the dog or maybe it's brought a retrieve back to you, you lean down and over the dog to take the item or, or even to praise them. But the dog sat down underneath you is is almost sort of going, oh, hang on. You, you, you know, it's, it's it might be cowering down because you've just invaded its personal space. Whereas if we remember when it was a tiny little puppy, we crouched down, we sat on the floor, our eye lines were fairly similar in level. You know, we were much, much more inviting to a dog when we are at their level on the ground. And that's not to say that you have to do that forevermore, our men through your dog's training, particularly in winters when it's cold, wet and muddy. Um, but we've just got to sort of bear in mind that actually if we reach forward, if we reach out, if we lean forward or if we lean down over the dog, we might inadvertently be encouraging the dog to stay back away from us, to stay out of our space, particularly if we have whistles around our necks or leads hanging around our necks while we're off for a walk or whatever. You lean down over a dog when you've got a lead around your neck and before you know it, the lead's smacking the dog around the nose. So the next time it comes back, it goes, hang on a minute, you've got that thing around your neck, you're leaning over me, I don't really want to come near this. Um, so all these things... They're kind of all encompassing. What you just said there about eye level, if you think about it, when you like sit down on the sofa and the dog's far more like at eye level with you, they tend to be more excited, don't they? They're like, they can sort of have like, not a conversation with you, but you're, you're making more direct eye contact, more aware of each other than like you said, when you're above them, They've got to constantly like look up at you to have that eye contact. It's a, it's a far more different position than when you're both at the same level. It is. With, to, from a dog's perspective, we're a lot more friendly and inviting and um, sort of equal, but without 
being detrimental to your relationship with the dog. Um, you know, but they want to come and be with us because when we're on their level, no part of us is superior to them at that point. We can still give them commands and we can still carry out actions and training and everything. But with our body language isn't in a it's not in a sort of dominating type fashion. As you're saying this now, I don't know whether this is a light bulb moment that probably the rest of the world has many moons ago. But if you think about it, that relationship between we sat down to play with them when they were pups and then we sit down on a sofa and we get confused when they're like, yay, I'm coming up to see you. I love you. Really, we started that behavior a long time before we even knew we were doing it by our behavior when they were little. We did. And it's a behavior that we can either sort of tailor and tweak um, or we can continue. So, you know, when the puppy or when we've got a, a tiny little puppy, we're crouching down, we're sat down on the floor, we're open arms, we're leaning backwards, we're encouraging them to come and jump all over us because at that moment in time, we're probably teaching them something like a recall. As the dog develops and as it progresses through its training, we can still work at its level, but we just can put more sort of rules and boundaries in place. So, for example, when I'm sat on the sofa, if my dog is allowed on the sofa with me, that's fine. But I've just tweaked those rules and boundaries. I no longer want you throwing yourself at my shoulders or my face or that sort of thing. You can be next to me, but be calmer. Um, so, again, it's all bringing in lots of different things, but an element of sort of self-control and the dog understanding that I'm not just your trampoline at this moment in time. It's quite funny you saying that because Rex came in from the kennel. He's an indoor dog, but he's very He's pretty quick to pick things up. He knows he's not allowed on the sofa. So he'll sit on the, the dog's bench because they've got a bench for themselves. And he like lean and like he like almost wave one paw in the air. He won't put it on the sofa, but it's like above the sofa as if say, I just want to like be with you. But I know I'm not on there, but could you just like wave back at me, please? <laughs> but it's, it's quite endearing in some way. But it it is that tweaking where he knows not allowed on the sofa but if he does that he's going to get our attention enough to tell us that he wants us to engage with him and and like you said it is finding that tweak of where we can understand from their body language what they need from us but what we need from them goes the other way doesn't it it does um you know and you'll probably find that the first time rex did that with his paw you gave Matt a bit of a nudge. You both looked at Rex. You had a bit of a giggle, a bit of a, oh, isn't that cute? And in hindsight, what you were doing was reinforcing what he was doing and encouraging him to do it again. Um, but at the time, you sort of get caught in that moment. He's, you know, at the end of the day, he's your canine companion. You love him dearly and you think what he's doing is sweet. Um, but we can, we need to consider all of these things from puppy into adulthood. Um, and I think we've all said it before, when you are working with your puppy, consider what you want your adult dog to do. Because if you allow your 11 week old puppy to, you know, climb up the curtains, run around the back of the sofa, then your adult dog is not going to understand why the rules have changed later on. We talk about start with the end in mind. And, you know, you're working backwards a little bit and you're trying to... Um, 
constantly not control your behavior as a handler but be aware of what those things are like you just said we probably did in fact I know me and Matt giggled at it because we think it's super sweet and now he's probably like you've said he knows that if he does it one of us without doubt will lean over we'll tickle him behind the ears we'll tickle him on the head he loves it he adores it so he's he's basically in a nice spot, in the nicest possible way, manipulated us to tickle him whenever he wants to for this one movement. But as much as like that's like a really innocent, lovely thing in a training field, or if we were doing something, something like that, this indirect response to his behavior, to any other dog's behavior, if we are not working on our control of our body language, shall we say, we might be giving all these indirect signals all the time that are really, really confusing for a dog that we aren't giving them a communication they understand. Exactly that. And it quite often happens if you've gone out for a walk with another person and you might be just sort of gesticulating with your arms as you, you know, you're, you're putting extra um, effect into what you're saying. If you've got a dog that's really, really hot on body language and maybe they're really good at retrieving, but they might actually be sat there going, well, hang on a minute, you just pointed out to a retrieve. Um, you know, I'm going to go and look for it. And then as a result, we go, well, where are you going? Come back here. And the dog's going, well, I thought I was just doing what you asked me to do. So if we don't concentrate on the messages that we give, we can create a very confusing situation. Um, but we also want to learn to read specific signals that our dog might give us when we're on a walk, for example. So most dogs, if they sense, so they might see, smell, uh, sense something in different in distance, most dogs, their reaction will be one of two things. They will either go nose down on the floor, what's this I've smelled, and I'm now going into sort of hunting overdrive and my ears are slowly switching off. Um, or they might suddenly stand up, head up, alert, ears pricked, and they'll be looking into the distance and whatever it is that's caught their attention. As humans, what most people do is they notice the change in the dog's body language, but instead of dealing with the change, they go, oh, what have you seen? Or what have you got in there? And if it is something that's in the distance, by the time the human has realized, oh, it's a deer, for example, the dog's already 30 yards on the way to the said deer or the dog on the other side of the park or everything else. So we've noticed the change in body language, but we've not actually taken any action on it. Whereas what we ought to have done is go, okay, the dog has sensed something. So I'm going to get my dog back under control. I'm going to blow it, stop whistle if it's got one. I'm going to recall it. I'm going to move to sort of catch up with it in a non-threatening kind of way. I'm going to get my dog back under control. And then I'm going to worry about what that distraction was. So that's one of the key points, I think, in reading and how we look at the dog's body language that a lot of people miss because we just get so bogged down in what is it they've seen that we miss the opportunity to bring the dog back, which in turn can lead to an undesirable behaviour that we've missed the point of bringing it back under control or bringing it back under control as easily as we could have done had we dealt with it there and then. I suppose if you think about the fact, like, when I'm training, my phone's away and I'm very focused. It's normally just me and the dog. So it's, I'm very conscious of everything that the body is telling me. 
Whereas if I'm going out for a walk, family members are with me. Normally, normally got my mobile phone in hand because I'm taking photos of the kids or what it or where we are. I'm probably just as switched off to the dog as the dog is switched off to me, maybe, because there's so many other things distracting me from watching the dog. Yeah, and that's a big issue if you like with modern day technology or with families that want to come on a dog walk with you mine are actually now they're learning that coming on a walk with mummy is not overly fun because I sort of don't pay them any attention because I'm looking at the dogs all the time um but you know you get involved in conversation when you go for a walk with your other half or your children or you start discussing what you're going to get from Tesco's or someone sends you a message that oh, just reply to that and then you look up and go oh where'd the dog go and it was because three and a half minutes ago you missed the fact that it flushed a rabbit out of the hedge and it went hightailing across the hedge. If you were paying attention to the dog's body language and not on your phone or talking to your other half of your children, then you'd have been able to have sort of um, brought the dog back under control and, and dealt with the situation very differently. If you think about like what you said there, which is absolutely without doubt, like completely honest and truthful, I suppose the best place for our dogs to be when we are distracted is on a lead, isn't it? Because they're by the side of us. We should still be watching them, but at least we know that we've got them under some type of control. And if we've done the work that we need to do around heel work, the dog will walk calmly by the side of us, sort of know what the deal is about being on a lead. I'm going to walk quietly by the side of us. If I then get engrossed to having a conversation about what colour the, the bedroom should be in the new house with my husband, uh, the, at least the dog is safe. Exactly that. And that, I think, is where a lot of people fall down because they either have struggles with nice lead work or heel work or they're trying to, in their busy schedule, merge two things together they need to exercise the dog and they need to discuss with their husband what color they're going to paint the new bedroom in the new house so they do both things at the same time but it means that neither gets your undivided attention what they don't want to do is have the dog stuck on a lead because it's then not able to stretch its legs which brings us back if you like to the we've had it before but the training versus walk discussion you know if you're short on time do training less walking but again that's a really difficult thing for humans to get their head around because we automatically think you know the ideal of owning a dog is to be able to watch it frolic and scamp across the field playing with its mates and you know flashing birds and having a whale of a time provided it comes back when you recall it and so a lot of people will go down the path of I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I've got 10 minutes to do it. I'm going to do everything. And I do none of it to the best of my ability. We'll come back to the, the our topic of this podcast about the, the dog communication. What you just said there about like what's got our focus. I'm, I'm sure those of you who read the newsletter, I'm reading a book called Atomic Habits. And he says about um, having different environments for doing different things, which if you live like in a, in a one bedroom studio flat, you can't have different environments for doing different things. But like, for example, on your mobile phone, don't have email. And on your laptop, have email, but don't have social media. So that when you're on your phone doing social media, you don't get distracted by your email and then go like, I, I'm in social media mode. Actually, no, I'm not, I'm now work mode. 
And if I'm on my um, laptop working, oh, Facebook has now got me. And that's like what we're transferring then, isn't it? To this, it's a very much the same thing with our dogs. I'm out with my dog. My dog does not have my entire focus, but neither does the other thing I'm trying to do. And am I training my dog or am I walking my dog? Am I walking my dog focused and listening to his body language? Or am I just dragging the dog out with me because we believe that's the best thing to do? I'm going for walk, dogs coming for walk. But dog, I'm not really going to pay any attention to you, to your body language at all. Do you think it's all this sort of like distraction all the time that is making us not as good as we should be at reading their body language? I think a lot of it is because we're so busy and so distracted by everything else that we're actually not, as you said, we're not giving the dog 100%. So some dogs' body language is really obvious. They might give us massive tells that they've seen something, heard something, and it might be something that they want to go chase. It might be something they want to say hello to. It might be something that absolutely terrifies them. But if we're busy on our phone and we're not focused on our dog, we're going to miss those signs um, you know, and some dogs will give us very, very subtle changes. So it might be that they were trotting along quite happily, you know, head up, nice and relaxed. And then all of a sudden they've heard something. And so they've just slowed their sp uh, speed down. They might just have hunkered their body down a little bit, but they're still moving. Their tail might have lowered slightly. Their ears might have either pricked because they're listening for further uh, communication from whatever it is that they've. Uh, you know has piqued their interest or it might be that their ears have just flattened back slightly because they're a little bit unsure but if we're busy and not focused then we can miss all these signs these changes in body language be they small changes or blatantly obvious changes I suppose as well depending on what breed you've got sometimes like you know we talk about it regularly with spaniels there is no blatant off switch when you're outdoors it's just like it's like a little baby train running around you all the time when they're at that fast pace and when you're slightly even the slightest bit distracted it's hard to pick up on little things because like the um signs you just mentioned they can be very fast with a spaniel or with any other dog they're just fast changes aren't they they, they are literally a blink of an eye change which probably told you everything you needed to know about what was coming next. But if you haven't seen it, you're not going to be quick enough to respond to it. Exactly. And you've just missed a whole ream of communication from your dog, be that because it was excited, scared, frustrated, you know, all of those things. It has communicated, maybe not communicated, you know, 100%. I'm, I need to tell my owner this but it has just given us a whole load of signals which could then prepare us for the next bit. So if something has happened, if you've been walking down a, a hedgerow, there's a road on one side, you know, maybe a car has backfired as it drove past you and the dog has gone, oh, what was that? We've missed it and we've carried on completely blase. We may well have jumped at the backfire ourselves, but we missed the fact that dog did it. We then go into the next field and there's a load of cows charging around and the dog who's already gone, oh my, that was a bit of a fright, has now got to put up with these huge great beasts with, you know, as far as they're concerned, massively big clodhoppers on the end of their legs, legging it around. So they're already going, oh, and then they walk into the next bit and they're going, oh, 
you know, and maybe something else then happens or a, a, you go into the next bit and another dog happens to start barking at them. And so they're already on tenterhooks and then it's all just ramping up and escalating. And there's a high percentage chance that if we've been distracted or busy or we're not in tune with our dog enough, that we've missed these little telltale signs. So when we meet the fourth bit that the dog has gone, okay, enough's enough. We look at the dog and go, well, what on earth did you do that for? That was completely uncalled for when actually the dog's been trying to tell us for the last half a mile that it's not wholly comfortable right now. Isn't it funny, like, you know, the example you just gave there is, is a truly valid one. And you think something you may see regularly and can end up in, in the worst of circumstances, being the dog being very, very nervous in, in an outdoor environment or, or could just be passed off. And then the next time you go out, he's absolutely fine. But it's also the, it's also like the, the things that might not be as, as, as big as that. Like, for example, I always used to know when Buddy was going to run in before he was going to run in because as he was getting more wound and the place board, he would start leaning forward onto his front legs. I knew that sign. And sometimes more my stupidity, and it was my stupidity, it wasn't naivety. I understood what the body language was telling me. I would think, oh, he'll stay, he'll stay. And then when he ran in and I'd get frustrated, really I should have been frustrated myself because his body language was already telling me I am not really doing very well staying steady right now yeah and so what you could have done in that situation was you could have still gone ahead and thrown that next retrieve but you could have made it a lot easier for him so instead of standing next to him when he's already leaning forwards and basically sort of wafting the dummy under his nose as you throw it out you could have walked 10 paces ahead of him turned around to face him so you're using your body language to say I, I said sit and I mean sit. And then you could have thrown the dummy behind you over your head. So your body is, if you like, a sort of block from him to the dummy behind you. You've got 100% focus on him. So again, he's more likely to stay grounded because he knows you're watching him and you've put a little bit of distance in as well so that you're not sort of wafting this dummy under his nose for him to just get too excited and go, that's it, mind blown, I've boiled over and I just can't contain myself anymore. So by reading his body language and acknowledging what he's essentially telling you, you can then continue your training session, but weighing it in his favour so that you're not in a position of getting frustrated with anyone. And it's not just they are like, body shifts that can tell us like you you've mentioned their ears their tails can tell us stuff their eyes can tell us stuff there's there's a lot for us to learn what relaxed looks like what scared looks like what what lots of things look like and they can be although these are generalized body positions should we say that could mean this thing as you get to know your dog more and more you'll know exactly what that position means. Exactly that. And they can be, you know, unique to your dog. So there are, like you just said, they're, they're generalised. If your dog is excited, it will probably be, you know, sort of quite elevated body position. Its ears will be pricked, its tail might be going, it might be sort of happy, smiley, panting at you, if that makes any sense. I've got a picture in my head. Um, you know, if it's 
wary of something it might have his ears back it might be shaking or tail underneath it or slinking away you know but there are whilst most body language comes across in a combination so you wouldn't often see for example in an excited dog I don't think you'd often see like a tail wagging but nothing else from the dog you would expect more than one body language item to be combined um you know it will be there will be certain tells that you learn are your dog and what your dog does to be excited about one thing might not be what your neighbor's dog when it's excited about the same thing does you know they will have their own ways of communicating do you think as well as much as we can learn over time to read them are they able to read us Definitely. We can tell a dog so much about us from our body language. So, you know, if we're smiling at a dog, if we, if we smile, we smile with our eyes as well as just our mouth. We've got a much more relaxed persona. Um, so and through COVID, when we were all wearing masks, a lot of dogs really, really struggled with that because they couldn't read our facial expressions. Um, but it also means if you take the example of um, so you've got home from work and throughout the day, at some point, your dog has taken it upon himself to raid the bin. So we walk in the house, we see all the mess on the floor, we look at the dog, we're instantly cross. We've had a long day at work and we think, oh, for goodness sake, you know you're not allowed to do that. We look at the dog and we go, you know you did wrong. You know you shouldn't have done that. And we connect the dots. In my opinion, most dogs will be looking at you going, something's wrong. They won't connect the dots the same way we do. So they won't look at you and go, you're cross because I raided the bin seven and a half hours ago, just after you left for work. They've long since forgotten that happened. So they're reading our body language. They're going, do you know what? You're frowning. You've probably raised your voice. You've maybe pointed your finger at me. You've almost definitely leant towards me and you might have stumped about a bit or slammed a, a door or, you know, hurriedly put all this rubbish in the bin. And we think the reason the dog's skulking in the corner is because it knows categorically what it did wrong. But actually the dog is skulking in the corner because it knows you're cross and it doesn't know why. I think this comes back to, you know, we, we have conversations regularly about the importance of rewarding at exactly the right time the same goes for correction a little bit doesn't it like you said there is no there is no point for the dog doing a 30 minute to 30 year later correction on something because they have forgot what it is they did and they don't even know doing it was wrong to begin with exactly you know and, and there's a chance if you caught your dog raiding the bin enough times there is a chance that when it actually raided the bin, it goes, do you know what? I probably shouldn't be doing this because the last five times I did this, I got appropriately corrected at the appropriate moment. But equally, if he's opportunistic and has worked out that when you leave for work at five to nine in the morning, you don't get home for a very long time, then he might think five to nine or nine o'clock, is a good time he's not going to get caught so it all it all works I suppose is this sort of one big circle you know 
is there a history of it? How have you dealt with it in the past? Have you got a, have you conditioned the dog to know that when you leave at a certain point in the day, you're going to be gone for a certain amount of time? And is the dog clever enough to realize that that would be the time to do it and not get caught and therefore not get the consequence at the appropriate time? It's when we put too much thought into the dog can actually link several hours later what I did at that point was wrong and that's why my human is wrong with is cross with me it goes back to like thankfully uh, people don't do it any longer or I don't think they do any longer but I can remember when I was much younger that when we had pets if they were in the house if they peed in the house you rubbed their nose in there it was like literally rub their nose in there for the dog outside and I thought about it at length once and I thought it never learned that it was never meant to pee in the house it learned if I pee inside, my nose is going in there. If I pee outside, that doesn't happen. So I'll just pee outside. It never made the connection that we didn't want them to pee inside. They just made the connection. They didn't want their nose in their own pee. So you think about it. It was like, A, it's a terrible thing to do. But B, it never taught them what we thought it taught them to do. It didn't. And we, like you say, you know, many, many years ago, that was what people did. They believed if they rubbed a dog's nose in their own pee in the house enough, the dog realized it's not supposed to do it here. But as you just said, all the dogs learn is when I do it here, I get my nose shoved in it. When I do it out there, I don't get my nose shoved in it. So actually, it's in my best interest to do it out there. It's not because they've gone, I'm not allowed to do it in the house. It's because they've gone, I don't like what happens if I do do it in the house. And then if you look at like the opposite side of that and you look at modern day, I almost find, and I'm sure people, lots of people have used them, but I think puppy pads must be really, really confusing for dogs because it's like you're allowed to pee in soft cloth inside the house by the back door, but there'll be a point when you won't be allowed to pee on soft cloth, i.e. a mat by the back door. And that'd be very cross with that. Even though I spent six months teaching you, you could do that. So I always look at them and I like say, you know, with our dogs, we just take them out multiple, multiple times to the same place. It's like so many times do you go to the same place to pee. It's, it's just crazy. But to me, that just makes sense that you pee this place outside. And over time, they generalize that to be, okay, outside, this is a cool place to pee. But we, it's, that's another place where we're not really thinking through the consequences of what we've done. Exactly. And like you, I think puppy pads can be incredibly confusing for a dog. And I think the only time I would ever consider advising their use is if, for example, you lived on the 16th floor of a big block of flats, because particularly for young puppies, you're unlikely to be able to notice the dog's body language. So, you know, um, with puppies, the sort of things you normally look for when they need to go out, they've either just woken up or they've just eaten, or they have quite a, a brief circle around before they go. So in order for you to notice those things, get up, put your shoes on, take the puppy out your door, along the corridor, into the lift or down 16 flights of stairs, and out to an appropriate place to pee, is highly unlikely with a very small puppy's bladder. Um, for your average puppy household, most definitely, I would always say skip the puppy pads, take them outside. But again, look for those key bits of body language that I just spoke about 
and use those as your we got to get out now because in order to stop that accident we want to be able to practice the good behavior the, the peeing outside so we say okay pups up get it outside have a wee then we can come back in and have a cuddle and have some fun and, and have some games and some training but at least we know that we've taken away the chance that for the next half an hour at least it's you know it's not going to need to pee in our house and you do like you said you've got those those indicators like i will open my eyes pee time i've eaten something pee time you know i'm going in a circle i'm definitely pee time in so to look for those but you know even like when we're talking about all this sort of language that we are looking for in an adult there's in a pup they're telling us loads and loads of stuff aren't they you know Years prick towards us, they've cocked their head if they're interested. They're all those little things that, that tell you whether whatever you're doing is of interest to them or is just simply not of interest to them. Yeah, it tells us whether it, whether they're interested, not interested, or whether we're pushing training too far or you know, too fast. And I think that's often something that we miss you know particularly novice handlers that are going through they're going on this training journey maybe for the first or even the second possibly the third time you're still learning as you're going along but um you know when I'm doing lessons with clients I will always be looking for signs that the dog is either struggling with the intensity of the exercise if we're pushing the training too fast maybe it's gone really really well up to a certain point and then it all falls apart and you think, okay, we've got to backtrack. The dog's body language, whatever it's doing in that at that time, it's telling me that it probably wasn't ready for the next progression. Or has it done four retrieves really, really well? And on the fifth one, it was just slightly slower or slightly less switched on, slightly less enthusiastic. So again, its body language has changed maybe actually now the dog is getting either physically or mentally tired. So we're always looking for these, again, quite subtle changes in the dog's body language to communicate with us, whether it's interested, happy, or has got enough brain power left to do what we're asking of it. And isn't it funny, like, how something can switch? Because I can remember with a dog called Bob, he he had retrieved beautifully every single retrieve up until we went dogging in for the first time and then we came home and I threw a dummy and he he literally just said not a chance yeah if it's not the real deal I'm not interested and it might be that had you not done it that day when you came home when he was quite you know mentally physically and emotionally tired um if you'd have not done any retrieving that day but you'd have done some a couple of days later he might not have needed the pheasant scent hindsight being a wonderful thing he might still have needed the pheasant scent because he might still be of the mindset no i've seen the real birds and actually now that's all i want to be interested in um but you know there's a chance that he just was too tired that day and went you know what there is nothing left in me. My the, my the fuel tank in my brain is now well and truly empty. And dogs do that a lot when we're out training. We expect them to focus for an elongated period of time. 
And whether we are working on one thing for a long period or whether we're doing, say, 20 minutes and we're visiting eight or nine different things. So we're, we're changing the game to keep it fresh for the dog. They're always going to get to a point where their fuel tank in their brain goes, nah, no more. But what we want to do is be able to read the signals, the body language the dog is giving us so that we can stop before the dog reaches empty. Because if we try and keep pushing and pushing, pushing when the dogs are empty and they just can't focus anymore, we end up either with a dog that isn't interested or starts displaying behaviours that we don't want it to do because we've essentially just kept trying to sort of plug away at it. If we'd noticed that he was getting tired, that he was switching off and unable to think properly, I'm sure we've all had it. We've got to the end of a working day and you can barely string a sentence together. You're no longer productive. That's what happens to a dog when we've given them like a full-on training session. They can't string this train of thought together in their head. And if we keep trying to push and push and push, it's going to fall apart. This, there's sort of like two different elements, I suppose, is the point that like, if you think about like even humans, they reckon in the classroom, was it's like 20 minutes, 20 minutes of, of learning. And then that's a human's brain, which has a capacity to do things that a dog's brain cannot. And we, we have skills in different ways, but a certain amount of new information is enough information. And then also the other side, I suppose, of that, of very well-trained dogs, if you understand their body communication, can tell you things like, for example, an extremely well-trained dog will not go in to, to cover, to flush, when it's telling you it's nothing there. You're probably just going to go in and do it for you, but it's sort of trying to tell you many a time there's nothing in there. I know there's nothing in there. I know there's nothing in, in this grass. You know, and it's knowing when your dog is correct or when your dog's just giving you one, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and that's what comes through progression of your training, through mutual trust um, and through confidence in each other. So that, you know, if your dog says to you, no, there is a reason why. It's not just trying to pull a fast one. Um, and I had a cocker who was absolutely fantastic and he would if you'd say to him you know go in that that hedge over there he'd pretty much sort of go and if he went there was something and if he looked at you it wasn't I don't want to today it was there is no point in me wasting my energy there is nothing in there um you know and by the same token there was there's a couple of times throughout a shooting career where as pickers up we'd all sort of discussed that we'd cleared the drive we were as sure as we could be that we'd marked everything that went down and we'd picked up everything that went down. So we had our dogs at heel. We were walking back to the gun bus, um, you know, and all of a sudden the dog that was at heel wasn't at heel and he darted into a hedge. And the first few times he did it caught me off my guard. And it was that, um, well, where have you gone? Until I very quickly learned that if he did that, it was because he was shortly coming back with a bird in his mouth. Um, you know, because he'd sensed that evidently I didn't know what I was talking about and we'd missed one, thanks. And I've just caught wind of it and I'm going to bring it back to you because I know that's what my job is. And it was through our um, progression of training, through our confidence in each other, that we worked really well as a team after that, because he'd showed me he wasn't taking the Michael. If he disappeared, if he broke the heel command, 
he wasn't just going for a leg it in the bush on the off chance. He was doing it because he had a job to do. And in his mind, he hadn't finished that job. I think it's always lovely to see a dog at that level because I can always remember watching dad with his training dogs. And, you know, and sometimes guns bless them. They, they're fantastic. We wouldn't have a stage without them. But sometimes, you know, a gun who's insistent something is there. And dad used to look at Grace and look at, um, look at Ed and he would go to cast them in. And if they didn't go, he'd say, I'm telling you, there is nothing in there. And, um, you know, I think it's that level of knowledge in your dogs that if it's somewhere, if there's something there, we are in there in a heartbeat as soon as you ask us to. And if there isn't anything in there, please trust us from our static position that you can be assured we haven't missed anything. Yeah. And it's, you know, you'll watch the younger dogs if you say, okay, there's, we've, we've been told there's something in there. The younger dogs that are more inexperienced are sort of, they go, yeah, okay, well, let's go, let's go, let's go find it. And they, they race in. And the older dogs are the ones that said, okay, let's just let the young whippersnappers, you know, get it off their chest because we know full well there is nothing there. Um, but again, you know, I, my dog's body language has helped me many a time when I've been out picking up through their experience and their learning and attributing different events together. There have been a couple of occasions where I've maybe forgotten to take my glasses with me. And so there's a bird been going over ahead of us and I've been watching it. And there's a couple of times that I thought, you know what, I'm not sure whether that was pricked or not. And so I look at my dogs. And if my dogs are still watching the bird as it disappears across the woodland behind us, then it was pricked. But if my dogs were watching it and then came back to the field in front of them, it wasn't pricked. And again, it's they've learned and I've learned how to read them. They've learned how to read the movement of the bird in the sky above. And I've learned how to read the movement of my dogs as to whether we then need to go and hike across this woodland and look for that bird that they're still watching or whether it was missed and we can focus on what else is falling in front of us or behind us. We could talk about this subject all night. I can see it happening. Um, and talking to you is always without a doubt a pleasure. To sort of start wrapping this podcast up, though, because I'm very aware people normally use it on like an hour long commute. I don't want to keep them in the car so they're late for work. Um, what what are the body signals from a dog that roughly, roughly, because like we said, every dog's very different, that we need to look at and say, actually, my dog is trying to tell me it's uncomfortable in the situation. So if a dog is uncomfortable in a situation, you will often see a slightly withdrawn body position. So instead of being sat bright, bold and alert, they might be just hunkered down slightly. They might have their tail underneath them. They might have their ears sort of back. They might have um, whites of their eyes showing, um, you know, anything that basically you look at them and you think you're not as bright or as perky or as confident as you normally are would probably be the way that I would look for uncertainty in a dog. Okay. And when the dog is not taking the mick, but when a dog is not really paying attention to anything we've got to say, what are we seeing? So you would normally see, well, if the dog is stationary, 
you'd probably see like the tail almost straight out behind them. So that it can be a sign of um, slight nervousness of something in the distance as well. But if, for example, they've just flushed a rabbit and they're kind of, wow, it might be that for a moment before they try and take off after that rabbit, if you've not yet been able to teach them, we don't chase rabbits, that their body language will be big they'll be you know sort of stood up um almost looking taller than they normally do they might have their head pointed out so the neck elongated their head out in front of them sort of staring at intently at whatever it was that caught their focus their tail stuck out behind them so you've almost got this line from nose to tail of a dog that's going what's that in front of me um but that not often will that last for a long time particularly if they've got a high prey drive and they want to then go and chase that rabbit you know they might literally just be a split second of wow before they've gone um it also depends on the breed and how far through the training you are because obviously things like hprs they're taught to to point in pretty much that stance but to hold that point until you then command them to go on and flush for example um so so any dog can sort of almost point for a moment it's that 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 top line isn't it they're like straight out like a table and we're off i think so yeah um or as i said earlier you know if something really piqued their attention it might be that all of a sudden the nose is in the ground and so they're almost head down bum high and sort of digging through the ground with their nose again they're highly animated about something so it's those, I think I said earlier on, you know, those two key changes. If your dog is happy mooching around in the field or the woodland, you know, it's minding its own business and it's trotting around quite placidly, but then all of a sudden it either goes down or it goes up. That's your key moment to go, Fido, come here. And then you can worry about what it is it saw in the distance. I know that you've just come back from doing uh, Rob Elaine's course, the Canine Instructor Academy course. And um, I know from talking to you off off the um, off air that how much you enjoyed it. But I one of the things I was truly fascinated about on that course was when he was he was talking about um, dogs attacking, and he said, "I I would be more concerned of a dog that is new that is silent with his ears forward attacking than a dog that is barking." And I was I was absolutely fascinated by that because. I don't know about you, but like we don't really hear the spaniels bark a lot. We don't really hear when we had labs, we didn't hear them bark loads. They were a little bit more like vocal, but not a lot more. But I can always remember the Rottweilers. They had this look that said, if you let me out, or the one did, or you let me out, I'm going to rip you to shreds. And it's that whole like not understanding, because I was young at the time, very young, so that meant she meant it. I'm talking about one uh, Rottweiler now. Not the, not the Rottweiler that was barking. Yeah, wah, 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 wah. She was great when she came out. She was just like, happy to see you, tell you all of the world about it. The one that was silent was basically saying, I, I mean it. And it's that type of thing that we need to learn, isn't it? It is. And I've always likened that to kind of the calm before the storm. It's that intent just let me and they're just wholly focused and they're working through you know it's it's that 
I'm ready. Just let me go. It's that calm before the storm, the absolute stillness before the eruption. Um, you know, as opposed to you've just said, you know, the other one that sat there looking ferocious, but actually chances are when you let that, well, you know, that dog, you know, its body language and what its noises mean. So I, by no means here am I saying you're fine to walk up to a dog that is barking ferociously at you. Um, but the dog that you're talking about, you knew that she was in that instance, almost all mouth, no trousers. I'm going to shout and scream. I'm going to make myself appear nasty. But actually, probably when it comes to it, I just want a tummy tickle, thanks. Um, but the other one, that to look at them side by side, you'd probably go, well, that one's fine. It doesn't care. It's nice and quiet. That would be the one that I'd be going, huh, I might just keep an eye on you. Um, I think the other thing that I'm going to add in here, actually, is that whilst we've got all these things of body language that we have spoken about and that we've discussed and gone through and, and signs to look for and that sort of thing. These are all, if you like, based on a dog that has had a well-rounded upbringing. So sometimes a dog that maybe is going to be aggressive has learned in the past that it's ears back, it's um, lip licking, it's submissive body language, it's slight lip raise. Maybe they didn't work for it as an effective method of communication in previous events. So it might now skip all of those signs and go straight for, I'm gonna bite you. Because when I tried to communicate with you in the past, it didn't work. So I'm going to skip those now. They're a waste of time. I'm just going to go straight in at level 10. So we've got to bear in mind when we're talking about body language and things that if you've got a dog with an unknown history, if you've got a dog from a rescue background, if you've got a dog that's maybe had negative experiences in its life, its body language may well be completely different to the dog that you've known for the last four years that you brought home as an eight-week-old puppy that's had a well-rounded upbringing. And on the same, same line of thought, some dogs have learned how to use certain looks. Like, for example, Charlotte's delightful cavapoo just has, I am beaten down to a T. She does this, when you're eating, she like looks at you as if she's never seen food. Just because she's learned that face, get somebody to go, oh, here, have this. And they can... Not again, it's not every single dog and should never be taken as every single dog. But unless you know the dog's background, you don't know exactly why it's behaving the way it is. You don't. And that's where it comes down to you knowing your dog, because you can protect your dog in as you know, in, in all situations and scenarios, be that because your bubbly Labrador just come bounding up to you in the park. So you need to be able to effectively read what your dog is telling you how does your dog feel about this what were your previous experiences when you met another dog banding up to you in the park how did your dog react to that and you can then safely navigate your way through that situation um but just because it works with your dog doesn't mean it's going to work with joe blogs next door so it's important to learn your own dog's individual body language um behaviors you know and how it communicates with you as well as knowing the generics 
And I suppose to sort of finalize and wrap this up, we all love each other's dogs. Like I, I can't help myself sometimes. I try so badly because I know I shouldn't. But when you see a dog, you, you want to be pleasant to the dog. We love dogs. We must always bear in mind that another dog might not see our behavior in the way we intend it. Exactly that. Just because our dog has learned that, you know, for example, when we go to pet it, maybe we don't pet it under the chin. Maybe we pet it on the flat of its head. And our dog has learned that that's not a bad thing coming from us. It's had it all its life. And actually it's learned to maybe quite like it. The other dog that you see might see a hand coming down on the top of its head and go, holy cow, what are you about to do? And it might absolutely petrify it. So like you've just said, you know, just because we think we understand dogs because we've had a few and we know what our dogs have always done doesn't mean that the dog you've never met before is going to understand your body language or you're going to fully understand its body language. Thank you so much for this podcast. It has been insightful as always. Just to round up, if people want to get hold of you, want to train with you, want to speak to you, whatever obviously they can find you um in the lwdg you're one of our group experts but where else can they find you so i run languedoc gun dogs which is a gun dog and obedience training center in gloucestershire um and the recently formed canine foundation which is also in gloucestershire but is for behavioral modification both of those things are online or if you search if you google my name samantha thornycroft taylor you'll probably find somewhere along the line that there'll be a phone number or an email address will pop up. Fantastic. If you're a society member, just log in, go to the dashboard, go to experts on the side, then there's a link straight to Sam. Thank you, Sam, for being amazing as always. And thank you all for listening to us. I hope you've enjoyed. If you have any sort of comments or feedback, we're always happy to hear them. Please, please, please just send us them in an email. And we read everything. Also, if you are a society member, just pop something in our community area and um, Sam, I or one of the other experts will get straight back to you. Thank you all for your time and we hope to speak to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Poddog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com.